Proverbs chapter 28. Let's read some verses, and I hope you listen very carefully tonight to all of these verses as we look at them together. Proverbs 28, verse 25, he that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife, but he that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. That's a blessing, of course. It's not physically. He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool, but whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. And tonight, as we come to it, we recognize that we are, as always, a very needy people in this world. We are bombarded with the deceits, lies, falsehoods that can steer us away from truth. And I thank you that we can come to this, your word, the word of truth. I pray our hearts will be open to it tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 26 again says very simply, he that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. Chapter 26, I want you to turn back there with me if you would, Proverbs 26, and I want you to notice several verses because we're going to talk about a fool before getting to the the core of this message. Proverbs 26, I mentioned this to the young people, started to at least a couple weeks ago, and I told them that this would be one of the most important lessons or texts that I could ever teach them as young people. And I'm going to expound on it much tonight. Verse 1 says this, as snow in summer and as rain in harvest, so honor is not seemly for a fool. Notice the last part of verse 3, and a rod for the fool's back. Verse 4, not a fool, answer not a fool. Verse 5, answer a fool. The middle of verse 6, the hand of a fool. Verse 7, so is a parable in the mouth of fools. Verse 8, so is he that giveth honor to a fool. Verse 9, the last line says, so is a parable in the mouth of fools. Verse 10, both rewardeth a fool and as a dog. Verse 11, so a fool returneth to his folly. And then verse 12 says, there's more hope of a fool. Well, I think you get the theme, obviously, of at least this chapter. And as you all know, in the Bible, the term fool doesn't at all, isn't at all talking about somebody's IQ. This isn't about their educational background or their ability even to acquire just facts, to memorize knowledge. No, Proverbs 14.1 says, The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Atheism never begins in the head because they're so smart. It begins in the heart, as does all unbelief. Jesus said to the disciples in Luke 24, 25, O fools and slow of heart, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have written. So again, when the Bible speaks here about a fool, it's speaking about a spiritual, it's a heart condition that ultimately, yes, it does affect the intellect and the ability to reason. And yet what I want us to consider tonight is that in spite of all of the rebukes and admonitions that are made in this chapter against the fool, admonitions that we will all say amen to very easily, there's one truth in the chapter that I think most of us at times would have to say not amen, but oh me. It is the one truth about the fool that, as I mentioned, all of us need to hear and humbly acknowledge oftentimes, oftentimes throughout our lives. I mentioned that I spoke to the young people about this just in in brief terms, that this is one of the truths that is a fork in the road in their lives. They can get this in their heart now, early on, the trajectory will be wonderful for them. 
Well, you know what? You can start that trajectory now as well. Some of you tonight may be familiar with the so-called SGIR acronym. It stands for Smartest Guy in the Room Syndrome. And it's actually considered an actual psychosomatic disorder. It's related to something called the Dunning-Kruger effect. And of course, it's basically a condition of the human heart whereby a man or woman can't learn. You can't really teach them anything. They cannot improve. They cannot grow. They cannot increase because he thinks that he already knows it all. Now, granted, the reason is usually this person is usually pretty smart, smarter than most people, but not smart enough to recognize when other people are smarter than he, and so therefore he won't learn from these people. They have a difficult position of dismissing. Uh, they have a default position of dismissing whatever else somebody else is teaching, whatever anyone else in the room is saying. And it's because he's smarter than the majority of the population. So he must be smarter than the people he's talking to at the moment. So consequently, he doesn't listen. He just waits for people to stop talking so he can start showing everybody else how smart he really is, how enlightened he is. The smartest guy in the room is thus incapable of recognizing that when he talks, he usually ends up even sounding, to use the Bible word, like a complete fool. It's an actual condition. Obviously, it's a dangerous one, and it usually begins allegedly around the age of 13 or 14, and it grows. I don't know if it's discussed in the DSMV5 manual, but I know that God recognized it and speaks about, spoke about it 3,000 years ago. We read earlier in chapter 28 those words. It says, very simply, he that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. Now, to really grasp the depth of this reality and this truth and that statement, you have to appreciate chapter 26 and this long introduction, in my view, that it gives to another text. Look at chapter 26 and verse 1. Let's just go through these one at a time before we get to the point, shall we? As snow in summer and as rain in harvest, so honor is not seemly for a fool. The word seemly means proper. And yes, just as it's not proper, it's not right for snow to come in summer, and in fact, it's harmful if that happens, just as it's harmful for rain to come in har uh, harvest, so too it is harmful. It is improper for a fool to receive honor. Verse 8, as he that bindeth a stone in a sling, so is he that giveth honor to a fool. Giving honor to a fool is like putting a precious stone, imagine a diamond or a sapphire, you put it in a sling and you toss, toss it away. Because fuel, fools abuse honor. They just throw it away and waste it. Honor means respect and authority. We all know people in this room through our lives who received some honor and they abused it, right? They wasted it because the Bible says the person who gave it to them and that person is a fool as well. Verse 3, a whip for the horse and a bridle for the ass, and a rod for the fool's back. Now, how do you motivate and how do you break a horse? With a whip. How do you control a donkey with the bridle? Why? Because neither one of these animals can be, can be controlled by reason. You don't look a donkey in the face and say, now Jezebel, let's talk about this. Let's reason here. And so it is, the Bible says, with a fool. 
There are some people who only understand one language, and it's the language of the rod. You know, the Bible tells us that foolishness is bound in the heart of it. That's a fool, right? Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, and the rod of correction will drive it far from him. So no correction as a child usually means a correctional institute as an adult. So, fools cannot retain honor, always need correction. Number three, look at verse four. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be like unto him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. Now, here you have two truths that sort of complement each other. In verse 4, we're told, and these are both true, but in verse 4 it says, if you answer a fool according to his folly, you're going to look foolish. That's why it's, it's senseless for a Bible-believing preacher to go on MS, MSNBC and argue. And argue. You're just going to look foolish. Answer a fool according to his folly, and then you'll be drawn down to his level. On the other hand, you don't answer a fool at all, and he'll never find help. So that you see, both of these Proverbs are equally true. You just need wisdom to know which to apply verse 4, when to apply verse 5. The point is, a fool will tend to pull you down. Again, all of these are introductory to what we're coming to. Number one, a fool cannot retain honor, throws it away. Number two, they will need the rod almost all their lives. Number three, they will pull you down. Number four, look at verse six. He that sendeth a message by the hand of a fool cutteth off the feet and drinketh damage or poison. In other words, a fool is unreliable. You send a message by the hand of a fool, it's like cutting off feet. They're not going to get it done. He'll fail you every time, won't get the job done, can't be trusted to get a job done. Relying on a fool is like drinking poison and cutting off the feet. Which brings us to a fifth characteristic. Now, I don't know about you, but so far, I don't want to be a fool. Not the Bible description. Look at verse 7. The legs of the lame are not equal. So is a parable in the mouth of fools. Here's a person who has one good leg and one bad leg. He can walk, but obviously something's not right. You can tell immediately that the gait is wrong. And so it is, the Bible says, when a fool tries to teach a proverb, tries to impart some wisdom. Have you ever listened to a cult member try to explain John, explain away John chapter 1? I have, and it's like, what? It's like Charlie Brown's teacher. Mwah, 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 words are coming out. Doesn't make, make any sense. I was in ICU last night at Jupiter, Jupiter Medical, and this young guy was holding the door. He was double masked, and he goes, <laughs> So I said, Okay, thanks. And I walked in. I don't know what he said. He could have said, Go inside to get your gallbladder taken out, and I just walked in. But, you know, you want to understand somebody, not from a fool. Number six, look at verse nine. As a thorn goeth up into the hand of a drunkard, so is a parable in the mouth of fools. In other words, not only is a parable lame, it just doesn't seem right, it doesn't make sense when a fool tries to teach it, it's also dangerous. Because a drunkard with a thorn in his hand is dangerous to himself and other people stumbling around. And so it is with those who try to teach wisdom that they don't have. And especially those, by the way, who try to teach the Bible when they really don't believe the Bible. That's why I'm glad for the seminary. You want people who actually believe the Bible to teach and preach the Bible. Number seven, notice verse 11. 
As a dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool returneth to his folly. That's pretty graphic. But, you know, you've seen this maybe. I have. In Turkey, a lot for some reason. But, you know, a dog gets sick, he throws it up and, you know, goes right back in a few moments and get it while it's warm, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) It's disgusting. So what he's saying here, if you think about it, this is graphic. Even though the foolishness is disgusting to others and even himself, the fool goes right back to it, to the folly. See, that's, that's hopeless. That person is a fool. It's practically hopeless. And again, I think you'll agree with me that the, the portrait of a fool in this chapter is a very sad picture. He can't retain honor. He needs the rod. He pulls people down to his level. He's unreliable and untrustworthy. He's dangerous, dishonorable, and he just goes right back to his foolishness like a dog. In every way, the person that God calls a fool seems hopeless. But he's not hopeless. Because nobody is hopeless. Nobody's beyond the grace of God. And in fact, Believe it or not, there's one person that's more hopeless. There is one person that is more hopeless than the fool we've been reading about all this time. Which leads us to the main point and thrust of tonight's message. This is the truth, again, that God's people must be reminded of, I think, over and again. And one reason I know that is because God reminds us of this truth over and over and over again from Genesis to Revelation. What kind of a person is worse and worse off than a fool? Well, it's in verse 12. After all this stuff he said, he says, Seest thou a man wise in his own conceit? There's more hope of a fool than of him. Now, wait a minute. The man in verse 12 has less hope than the fool we've been reading about in verses 1 through 11. That's what it says. And furthermore, the description of the fool in verses 1 through 11 is partially given in order to highlight the terrible condition of what? Being wise in your own conceit. The danger of being the smartest man in the room. Verse 12, seest thou a man wise in his own conceit, there is more hope of a fool than of him. What does it mean, pastor, to be, quote, wise in your own conceit? conceit. Look at verse 16. The sluggard is wiser in his own conceit than seven men that can render a reason. You see, seven men is a number of completion. Seven men cannot convince this man that he's wrong about a decision or a position. To put it simply, he always trusts his own heart. He's wise. What was our first verse? He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. Yes, and the worst kind of a fool. You may remember when Jesus talked about the one person in the New Testament, he actually calls him a fool. It's one thing if I call somebody a fool or if somebody else says you're a fool or if some guy in academia calls me a fool, whatever. But when God calls you a fool, you're a fool. And Jesus said to this man, thou fool. Why? Because it says he thought within himself saying, I will. 
In other words, he's a fool because he took his own counsel. It's like the Pharisees that Jesus rebuked, of whom Jesus said in Luke 18, quote, these are they who trusted in themselves. There's actually a book that was titled, The Smartest Guys in the Room. I read it. I read it the year I became pastor here, or a couple years later. It was written by Bethany McLean. She researched the rise and fall of Enron. Enron fell the year I came here in 1987, and you may remember Ken Lay and Jeff Skilling. Skilling used Darwin, Darwinism and Darwinian uh, thought. To, uh, he applied that to the workplace at Enron. That was a smart move. All these guys were brilliant. They had 280, 180 million dollar portfolios, each and every one of these guys. They're so smart. Smartest guys in the room is the title of the book. All of them ended up either in jail, committing suicide, deep depression, mental breakdowns. So much for being the smartest guys in the room. Now, I have time, so I want to talk about the three things to consider carefully in light of the man who is wise in his own conceit. This is a man who thinks that he knows and who thinks that he knows what he knows in himself. I know what I know. The person who cannot be taught, who's worse than a fool. There's an old proverb that says, know what you know, but especially know that you don't know what you don't know. And that that is true knowledge. Above all others, there are three things that we absolutely do not know. Here's, here's a good beginning point. Now, the ending point we're going to look at in a minute is the total antidote. This is why I said nobody's hopeless. We're going to look at it at the very end before we pray. But this is a great beginning point for you to say and me to say and constantly remind ourselves we don't know. We really don't. Number one, we don't know the future. You think you know it all? You, think, you don't know the future. You don't know tomorrow. You don't know tomorrow morning. Look at chapter 27, verse 1. Boast not thyself, there's a boast, boast, pride, know-it-all. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day, one day. You don't know what one day may bring forth. I don't know how smart or educated or gifted or street smart you are, but I know this, nobody knows the future. Nobody knows exactly what's going to happen tomorrow. Nobody, except for those, those things that we know about the future that God himself has already told us. And that's a knowledge that we all have. We all have access to that. You're no better than anybody else. God has told us some things about the future. For example, I know that Jesus is coming again. Amen to that. I know it. I absolutely know it. I know it's in the future, but only because God told me in his word. No special revelation, no special knowledge. What I don't know are a lot of things about that or anything else about tomorrow. I don't know when. I don't know how the housing market will be in a year. I don't know how the war in Ukraine is going to end up. I don't know if I'll even be here in 12 months or six months. We assume Brother Danny would be here next week or the next week or the next week. I don't know if gold is or real estate, or commodities, or llamas are all good investments. I don't know. I don't know the future of the economy, the environment, my own health. Certainly we don't know. Let me tell you all the things I don't know. 
Sometimes it's good to think about what you don't know. In fact, it's very good. I don't know the health of our whole country. You'll notice what it says in chapter 27, verse 24. Because these words, as far as I'm concerned, should be at the entrance of the New York Stock Exchange and the White House. For riches are not forever, and doth the crown endure to every generation. Does it? I still remember about 25 years ago when a whole bunch of the smartest men in the room were boasting that within three years, America would have a $3 trillion surplus in the budget. Does anybody remember that? Oh, I do. That's all they talked about. And so you know what they did? They went on a spending spree, a binge, our Congress. And here's what happened. They said, oh, well, this $3 trillion, uh, you know, extra. Well, we didn't foresee 9-11, and we didn't see the dot-com bubble bursting, and we didn't see, foresee the housing mortgage crisis. We didn't foresee trillions of dollars of stimulus being needed and, and all of these emergency bailouts, and we didn't foresee COVID and Ukraine and all of this stuff, they would say, and they're still saying it. And I keep thinking, you know, that's all you got to say. I can make all kinds of bold predictions and promises, too, if all I have to do later is say, well, I didn't foresee something. Folks, I promise you, I promise you, the Marlins are going to win the World Series this year. Promise. So plan accordingly. Draft Kings or whatever you guys use, I don't know. I mean, the Marlins are going to win the World Series. And so when six months from now, I just say, well, I didn't, they were going to, but I didn't foresee that they would lose 60 games. I didn't foresee that they wouldn't make the playoffs. Other than that, my predictions were flawless. No, they were foolish. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. That's why if you ever notice in the New Testament how many times Paul says, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills, Paul was never presumptuous on the will of God. Pastor, I predicted back in August that Georgia would go undefeated and play in the national championship. You may have predicted it, but you didn't know it. Nobody knew it. Did you know TCU would be there? I don't think so. You look at all these overpaid, overhyped, and frankly very harmful pollsters in our country. Could the smartest guys in the room have gotten it more wrong in the last four elections? I mean, why are they even paying these people? Because they're always wrong. Believing in yourself or your inflated abilities is a dangerous thing to do. And I would encourage you, all of us in this room, to make sure that we recognize what we don't know. It is a dangerous thing to be wise in your own conceit. To forget that the times, beloved, are in His hands. There's more hope of a fool than of that person who lives as, as if he or she knows what the future holds. As Christians, we don't know what the future holds. We do know who holds the future. And for us, that ought to be enough. You know, for me, that's one of the reasons why I'm here tonight. I don't know about you, folks, but I, I come to church in part because God knows more about the days ahead than all of the guys talking right now at 745 on any of the TV talk shows and all of their 
pundits. The only thing worse than pollsters are pundits. Talking heads who speak as experts on things they cannot know. Chapter 26, verse 25 says, When he speaketh fair. When he speaketh fair. You know those fancy words? Believe him not. For there are seven abominations in his heart. That may sound familiar from a couple Sunday mornings ago. The second thing that nobody knows is the past. You say, what do you mean by that? I know the past. Here's what I mean by that. Look at verse 10. The great God that formed all things. I have a question. How many of you believe that our God formed all things? Raise your hands. Okay, you know that nobody else around here believes that, comparatively speaking. Not only do I not know the future, not only do these pundits and these people in academia not know the future, they don't know the past. Someone on television declares with authority, and your little children are sitting there listening to it, 47 million years ago, dinosaurs were killed by an asteroid or whatever. And they throw out these numbers and they change all the time. I have a question, how do they know that? Were they there? Did they meet someone who was ever there? 42 million years ago? You do realize that mankind can't even get the story right of something that happened 42 days ago. It's true. I love history. History is my favorite subject next to the Bible. When I was in school, every elective I ever took, from high school all the way through graduate school, every elective was history. But you know, historians are just journalists. And journalists reprint print retractions in the Palm Beach Post and the New York Times, not so much in the New York Times lately because they don't want to, it'd be every day. But they, re- they print retractions from the story they wrote just yesterday. Don't tell me they got it right about what happened a hundred years ago or a thousand years ago, and certainly when the world was being made by the Word of God. You realize that Pulitzer Prizes have been awarded to authors whose books take the exact opposite positions on something that happened way back in the past? Which one was right? They don't care. Not anymore. Just give them an award, a Pulitzer, for sounding, convincing. It's deceit. Well-written deceit, but it's still deceit. The Pharisees came to Jesus with the scribes. And the Sadducees, and these were people who were responsible, self-described guardians of the truth. All they did all day long was apply scholarship and research, so-called, to getting it just right. And Jesus said to them, you got it all wrong. He said these words, ye do err, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. Have ye not read, Jesus said, Art thou not a, are thou a teacher in Israel and knowest not these things? From the beginning, Jesus said, it was not so. In other words, they didn't know the past. He did. It's too bad they were so full of pride, so wise in their own conceit. They, did, they could have asked Jesus about the past and gotten it right. Years ago, I was sitting in a famous restaurant in Pigeon Forge, and there were a bunch of preachers there. And some of us were young guns. I was 24 or 5, I guess, and... And Adolphus Price was there. Some great preachers were there. And some of these old-time evangelists were talking about a revival meeting in a certain church that had happened many, many, many years ago. 
And they were all sharing stories, but they were all saying, here's what I heard. I heard that you could do this. I heard that God came down and this happened. I heard that this happened and that happened. And I'm just listening, taking it in. And then finally, one of the preachers there said, they asked him, said, what'd you hear? He said, um, well, I was there. And that's the only one I want to hear from. Everybody else, he, he, he fixed all their stories. Actually, it wasn't that. It was this. Actually, it wasn't there. It was there. That's who. You know what? We don't know. I believe and I know that God created this world. And the reason I believe and I know it is because, guess what? He was there. How many of you know and believe the story of Adam and Eve? Raise your hands. How many know and believe the story of Jonah and the whale? Raise your hands. How many know and believe the story of Moses and the ark? Raise your hands. See, you do that every time. It's Noah and the ark. You can't even get that right, Moses and the ark. I'll bet $100 Steve Hatcher didn't raise his hand on any of those. Amen? See, man of wisdom over there. See, it's how a man wise in his own conceit. He thinks he knows the past. There's more hope of a fool than of him. Hardly a week goes by, but that the newspaper has some article or some journal has an article about a recent discovery that, quote, challenges all of our preconceived ideas about evolution or biology or early man or the early settlers or whatever. I mean, literally every week, it seems, I have a dear friend who sends me a lot of these science, he's a scientist, these science journals and, and these discoveries that have been made. And they have to, these experts have to, quote, rethink modify, go back to the drawing board, even though they told your young people and us yesterday that what was on the drawing board then was 100% true and factual. God has never had to edit his word, print a retraction. God has never had to reevaluate or rethink what he has said about the past, and that's because he was there. And when he was there then, he already knew about here and now. This is why, beloved, unlike God, Unlike us, God has no regrets about the past. From everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. I need to trust Him tonight completely. And you need to trust Him tonight completely. Not your heart. Seest thou a man wise in his own conceit, there's more hope of a fool than of him. Are you a know-it-all? Number one, you don't know the past. By that I mean you don't know it as you can know it and could know it if you were God. Number two, you don't know the future. Number three, you also don't know your own heart. Look at Proverbs 21, would you? Just turn back a few pages. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 2. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. But the Lord pondereth the hearts. Now, please don't, don't miss this. Everybody here knows this scripture. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? Now, there's a lot of deceitful things in the world. So when it says deceitful above all things, commercials are deceitful, right? Very deceitful. A lot of so-called Religious teachers are deceitful. There's a lot of deceitful things in this world. But it says here that the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? And the next verse answers the question, the Lord search, I the Lord search the heart. 
In other words, in a society, beloved, where people idolize their own heart, I mean, you know, find yourself, believe in yourself, do what's right for you, follow your own heart, listen to your inner spirit, be true to yourself. There's nothing, there's no worse advice on earth than that. But in this environment, Christians must make the conscious decision that is established at the beginning of this book. It's the one that I said is the remedy for all of this. If you're like, Pastor, I don't want to be this fool. There's really only one remedy, and it is the remedy, and it's amazing. And you already know it. Some of you have memorized it. Go to chapter 3, and we'll close with it. Proverbs 3. Verse 5. Trust in the Lord with most of thine heart. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. So many times I've seen people sign their name or write a card, and they put those two verses. And I love them. But I sometimes wish they'd put the next verse. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Be not wise in your own conceit. You'll notice that God says to trust Him with all your heart. All of your heart. And you know what? I don't know. Are you leaning against the wind? It says lean unto thine own. That's what your own understanding is. It's just the wind. You're leaning against the wind. Or are we leaning on the Lord? Thus His word who does know the past, who does know the future, who does know your heart, and who will direct thy paths. And God's people said, amen. Father, we thank you for your word. And I pray, God, that we will humble ourselves before you always, always, never exalting our wisdom, our own conceit, our own heart, above you or your word. And I pray, God, that inasmuch as we will recognize what we don't know, we will trust the one who knows all. Help us not to get anywhere near being the fool or the one in which there's even less hope than a fool. And never be wise in our own conceit. Bless your people to that end. And may we teach our children to that end as well. In Jesus' precious name, amen. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.